costume drama rewind, where today the entire cast of Harry Potter has invaded a small village in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> That's right. This time we're reviewing the Tim Burton classic Sleepy Hollow. Released in 1999, it stars Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Michael Gambon, Miranda Richardson, Casper Van Dien, Richard Griffiths, Michael Goff, and Christopher Walken. First, a quick synopsis. It's 1799, and the town of Sleepy Hollow, New York, is plagued by a murderous phantom who beheads his victims and then steals their heads. Into this situation is dropped a plucky young constable from New York City, Ichabod Crane, who sets out to solve the mystery armed with only a bunch of scientific theories and a pair of steampunk goggles. He doesn't believe that the murders have a supernatural cause until he has an encounter himself with the Headless Horseman. He does, however, come to believe that the murders aren't being committed at random, but that someone in the village is directing the Horseman's wrath. As he investigates, he acquires two helpers, young Masbeth, the teenage son of one of the victims, and the beguiling Katrina Von Ta Van Tassel, daughter of the village's wealthy innkeeper. One by one, as the horseman takes down each of his victims, Ichabod begins to suspect Katrina, despite their growing romance and the death of her own father at the horseman's hands. Eventually, however, he stumbles on the real culprit, Katrina's stepmother, who stole the horseman's head from his grave to gain control over him, has been having affairs all over the village, Get it, girl. who wants to be Katrina's father's sole heir, and who wants to take her revenge on the villagers after they rejected and shunned her family when she was young. Talk about a perp with multiple motivations. At last, in a dramatic climax that should be impossible by all known laws of physics, Ichabod saves Katrina by returning the horseman's head to him, thereby releasing the horseman from his bones. The horseman grabs the wicked stepmother and drags her with him as he returns to hell, and Ichabod, Katrina, and young Masbeth return to New York City to begin a new life together. So, first impressions of Sleepy Hollow. Megan, last time for Operation Mincemeat, you walked us through the fateful ghost tour you took on your honeymoon and how you literally stumbled upon them filming. I'm going to raise you one, and I'm going to take you through my entire life. Oh good, can't wait. <laughs> My love affair with The Tale of Sleepy Hollow began with the 1988 production where Glenn Close narrates the story with accompanying illustrations that depict the town, the old church, it has traditional looking folk art, and it thoroughly scared the hoot nanny out of me. That's something that can be scared out of somebody? Watch it. You'll okay. understand. It's on YouTube. Then came the Sleepy Hollow episode of Wishbone in 1997. And in October 2011, I even got to visit the town and walk the path Ichabod Crane raced down. You realize he is not a real person. How dare you? Also, the story is this such beautiful, loving pastiche of the Dutch culture in old, old New York. One of my friends comes from that background, and it makes it even more special for me. And did I mention that my dad's paternal family is Hessian, just like the horseman? Still not a real person. However, I only got around to seeing the movie first in 2007, when I caught the last 10 minutes on TV, had no clue what was going on. But after I got sick, right after my trip to Sleepy Hollow, I finally watched the movie in full, and boy howdy, it is not like the original tale <laughs> at all. The horse has the same name. <laughs> that is true. But it was only this time around I realized this is basically just an episode of Midsummer Murders with more overtly supernatural elements. I have nothing at all to add to any of this. No, so my dad is quite the storyteller. And one of my favorites when I was a kid was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It's one of my earliest memories listening to him tell it, and I still remember feeling that thrill you get when you're listening to something deliciously creepy. If you're not familiar with the original story, here it is in brief. A shy, nerdy school teacher named Ichabod Crane 
is trying to court and win the lovely young Katrina Van Tassel. His competition from local musclehead Brom Van Brunt. He's really hot in this movie. Yeah. One night, walking home from a party, Ichabod is pursued by a headless horseman and flees. He thinks he's safe, only to turn around and see the horseman fling his flaming head directly at him. Ichabod is struck by the head and falls from his horse. Cut to the next morning. The horse is found eating grass along the road, surrounded by shards of a shattered pumpkin. Ichabod is never seen again in Sleepy Hollow. It's never clear whether he was dragged to hell by the horseman, or whether the horseman was simply Brahms scaring away the competition. Anyway, as many fond childhood memories as I have around this story, I've actually never seen the movie. For one very simple reason. For which I will now have to enter the Millennial Witness Protection Program. I actually do not like Tim Burton. I do not like any Tim Burton movie. You do uh-uh. not like Tim Burton on the stocks. You do not like Tim Burton wearing socks. <laughs> I'll just show myself out. So now, as I'm doing so, let's get down to the heart of the matter. Okay, as we've established, this movie has basically nothing to do with the original tale, historical accuracy, or, frankly, the geography of New York. But there are some traces of the legend and the folklore that influenced Irving in it. You just gotta squint a bit to see it. I relied on Jonathan Crook's 2011 book, Legends and Lore of Sleepy Hollow in the Hudson Valley, for all of this. Let's start with the Headless Horseman himself. The Hudson Valley area was majorly traumatized by the American Revolution, with both British and American raiding parties wrecking absolute havoc on the area. Part of the British forces included soldiers from Hesse Castle in Germany, part of my personal ancestral stomping grounds. And as Crook says in his book, they were pretty terrifying to local villagers. Quote, they made a fearsome impression on their arrival, glowering under brass miter caps held in place with chin straps just below sharp mustaches. They sported a long sword-like hair cue. Not to mention their lack of heads. <laughs> their, their notable lack of heads. And they were fierce fighters intent on putting down the rebels. So not too much of a stretch uh, to see how horseman would be hella scary to these people. The Hessians were a major part of the British forces during the Battle of White Plains, which started on October 28, 1776, and lasted until October 31st, Halloween, when Washington retreated. What does it all mean? (laughs) While the Americans sustained more casualties, Joseph Plum Martin, who we've mentioned before on the podcast, wrote in his diary that he went back to the battlefield a few years later, and he found numerous Hessian bodies with detached limbs, detached skulls, still everywhere. American General William Heath, who was present at the battle, noted that he saw a Hessian soldier's head get blown off by a cannonball on October 31st. And local legend has it that the real-life Van Tassel family buried the headless body of one of these dead Hessians in the Old Dutch Church's graveyard because another Hessian soldier had helped save their family from a fire a while before. So is this the headless horse mom? Still not a real person. Now you're just trying to rub it in. Yes. Moving on to the next scary character the witch of the western woods in the movie she's this creepy freak show that just apparently hangs out in her cave and her eyes are just dangling here and there in the real sleepy hollow area of tarrytown there was a real healer woman who was commemorated in irving's tale as the high german doctor not too much is known about her background other than she was originally from europe spoke one local native american language when she showed up in sleepy hollow the locals dubbed her mother hulda after the figure in germanic folklore The local church and village demonized her as a witch, but she still routinely put together medicines, basket of foods, etc. for people in need. During the American Revolution, she was willing to fight, but the militia turned her down. According to Crook, on October 4th, 1776, 
the British came to Terrytown, and there's a standoff as the local militia gathered, but they were hesitating to fight, figuring out what to do. Mother Hulda, who had been out on errands, came upon the area, and she had her gun. She started shooting, and this led the British away from their path to Terrytown. Unfortunately, she was killed in the skirmish, and then the church wouldn't even mark her grave. Justice for Mother Hulda. It's coming! Her story does not end there. Some folklorists over the following decades mentioned her, but it was Crook's book who helped her get more notice in recent years. The community put up a headstone for her in 2019, and it reads, Herbalist, Healer, Patriot, felled by the British while protecting the militia, buried here in gratitude for her sacrifice. I think I might cry. I think you already are. (laughs) And now there's also educational programming about her life and experiences, as well as that of other marginalized women from that area who have largely been forgotten by history. So one of the inspirations for Baltus Van Tassel, Katrina's dad, was Frederick Phillips, a bohemian immigrant from the Netherlands who built up his business and used land purchases to grow his wealth. And you may have noticed the magistrate in this movie is named after him. He got a royal charter from William III in 1693 and was named Lord of the Manor of Philipsburg. Just like how the Van Tassels have that giant windmill, it's on their coat of arms, it's where they get their money, Phillips also had windmills in the Sleepy Hollow area. And on a darker note, we learned the Van Tassels majorly benefited from the Archer family being turned out into the Western woods. But real life is more sinister. Frederick Phillips and his family began enslaving Africans and trading them in 1685, stealing labor and lives to boost their fortunes, to the extent that Phillips even said in a 1695 letter that all other trade I only look upon as by the by. Yeah. So let's talk about the man who gave us the original Sleepy Hollow story. Washington Irving has been called the first American man of letters. He's born in New York City in 1783, and he was the indulged, spoiled, favorite, youngest of 11 children. He was the Amy of the family? (laughs) All of his older brothers were made to attend college, but since young Washington was not interested in school, his father let him out of it. Instead, he read law off and on at the office of a friend of the family, Josiah Ogden Hoffman, whose daughter Matilda became the one great love of Irving's life. They were engaged to be married when, at the age of 17, Matilda died of consumption in 1809. Her death had a profound impact on Irving, who mourned her for the rest of his life. He had also started writing seriously to earn enough money to marry her. He launched a magazine, Salmagundi, that lampooned New York's culture and politics. The year after Matilda's death, he published a satirical history of New York by Diedrich Knickerbocker. From there, he drifted for a while, writing, editing, serving briefly as a staff colonel during the War of 1812, working as a lobbyist in the new national capital of Washington, and traveling Europe. During this time, he wrote his most famous work, the collection of short stories that included Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. He went on to serve as a U.S. diplomat to England, where the novelist Mary Shelley developed a romantic interest in him, which he sadly did not return. He also served as minister, U.S. Minister to Spain during that time. He wrote quite a few travel and history books, from a book on the American prairies, to a life of Christopher Columbus, to an account of John Jacob Astor's fur trading empire, to his magnum opus, a five-volume biography of his namesake, George Washington. Irving admired Washington all his life. He had actually met him once as a six-year-old boy in New York City, and that meeting was so meaningful to him that he commissioned a painting of what his <laughs> memory of that scene was, but his work was also the first major historical treatment of Washington's life and is actually credited by historians as demystifying Washington and beginning to reveal the real person behind all the myth-making. 
In Irving's later years, he served as a mentor to other American authors, including Edgar Allan Poe, who kept sending his work to Irving, asking for notes. <laughs> he died of a heart attack in 1859 at his home in Terrytown, New York, and he's actually buried in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. I have pictures of it. Of course you do. So now we get down to the big question. How many flaming jack-o'-lanterns, which is by far the best headgear choice in this movie, <laughs> are we awarding to Sleepy Hollow? I'm sure our listeners have already figured this out by now, but when it comes to judging period pieces, there's no real method to the madness for me. There really isn't. No. Sometimes I can absolutely hate, hate, hate a movie because they change one tiny little inconsequential thing. Other times I'll love a movie despite gross historical inaccuracies. Even though a lot of the things I love about the original Sleepy Hollow Tale being this homage to the old Dutch New York ways, it's totally not present at all in this movie. Uh, I'm still really fond of it. I mean, despite the fact that it has almost nothing to do with story, or that we didn't really have Iron Maidens in the US, this movie still gets a full five flaming jack-o'-lanterns from me. So I like this movie more than I expected to, considering my complete lack of appreciation for Tim Burton. This is Megan Jeff. This is Megan Jeff. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so this might actually earn the distinction of being the only Tim Burton movie that I like. I enjoyed all the nods to the original legend, even to Ichabod's horse Gunpowder. Gunpowder. And I think the movie set an atmosphere really well. I just found parts of it to be a little bit more cartoony and a little sillier than I think the source material deserves. I think I'd have to go with an overall 3.5 flaming pumpkins. Fair enough. But at least now I won't be shunned by the other millennial nerds. <laughs> so finally, we come down to a few sundry other notes. Despite Washington Irving saying that Katrina had plenty of charms, nowhere in the original text does it say that she's a witchcraft practitioner. This seems to have been the beginning of a fad in some recent productions, like that Sleepy Hollow show where she's a witch in it and she's stuck in purgatory. Which I watched and liked and had completely forgotten about until just now. Yeah. And then there's a novel called The Spell Book of Katrina Van Tassel in which she and Ichabod are totally lovers and she's got to use magic when he goes missing. And slightly odder, in 2015, the Washington Ballet's production tied the story to the Salem Witch Trials Kicking things off with Cotton Mather making an appearance. Siri, what are two things that occurred literally a hundred years apart? <laughs> like, I can sort of see the natural attraction doing this, like connecting one of America's first ghost tales with the other early spooky, creepy thing that we're associated with. I just think it's unnecessary. It's it's gilding the lily. It's painting the carved flaming pumpkin. It's a hundred years apart. <laughs> right. And... I've mentioned the Dutch element of the story is not present at all in this movie, but I'm convinced Christina Ricci got the job to play Katrina because she looks like some of the Dutch old master portraits in the National Gallery of Art. Are we sure it's not because of her star turn in the movie Casper? Which was my favorite Halloween movie as a kid. I don't remember. I just one. had a thing for Devin Sai. It was a problem. <laughs> so the movie starts out with a brief bit about Ichabod Crane's disgust with the criminal justice system, which Laura alludes to when she mentions the Iron Maidens. Iron Maiden. Excellent. And he believes that it's unnecessarily cruel. This is meant to be a character moment that shows his humanity, but also reflects some interesting history. By the early 19th century, so in the years just after this movie, there are basically two schools of thought around the American penal system. The New York system, also known as the Auburn system, holds that silent work and especially physical punishment are necessary to reform an offender. 
In contrast to that is the more moderate Pennsylvania system, of which Ben Franklin was an early proponent, and which still practiced solitary confinement, but also held that allowing prisoners to reflect and think and experience true penitence was the key to reforming them. You can learn more about all of this by visiting Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, which is a fascinating tour during the day. Part of the site is devoted to exhibits about its history as a prison, but most of it is actually a ruin in essentially suspended animation. They also have a haunted house at Halloween that is one of the best scares on the East Coast. As always for me, it was really fun to research what influenced the aesthetic design in this. For costumes, Katrina's outfits, save one or two dresses, do have the historically accurate late 18th century zone cutaway bodice look with the robe a la Anglaise, and the gothy Beetlejuice dress at the end is an interesting take on the puffy retrousse skirt style. Now, I know that the costume designer said she wanted things to look a little bit older to reflect that they're, you know, kind of mm-hmm. out in the sticks. But Lady Van Tassel's gowns, they bounce between, like, 1760s, 1770s robe a la Francaise styles. And then she's wearing, like, very sumptuous Renaissance Wicked Queen looks. But the final dress she wears was actually directly inspired by the dress in pre-Raphaelite painter Edward Byrne Jones's 1860 painting, Sidonia von Burke. For general aesthetics, the general look, Tim Burton looked to the classic goth horror studio Hammer Films, and Christopher Lee and Michael Goff were Hammer alumni. These elements include the mostly gray backgrounds, the splashes of bright blood red throughout, and the -the over-the-top artificial feeling set pieces that you did not like. (laughs) So I just blame those on Tim Burton's brainworms. (laughs) They're sandworms. Okay. Have you seen Beetlejuice? No. Yes, maybe. (laughs) But there are also some homages to the classic Disney cartoon, namely when Ichabod hears his name getting croaked out while he's on the bridge, and I, I loved that. So finally, where have I seen that guy before? Big exciting news. Michael Gambon has now passed our old pal Rufus Soul for the most appearances on this podcast. This is Michael Gambon's fourth time popping up here. In this movie, he of course plays Baltus von Tassel, Katrina's father. Previously, he's been in Little Women as Mr. Lawrence, Gosford Park as William McCordle, aka the dead guy, <laughs> and finally Amazing Grace as Lord Charles Fox. Johnny Depp is here for a second time. We most recently saw him in From Hell playing Aberline. And I just want to register my shock that yet again, he's not the murderer. Yes. I just always expect him to be the murderer. A secret window was very influential on me. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Jones, who played Reverend Steenwick, was previously seen in The Crucible as Thomas Putnam. Nick Main, who plays a British soldier here, was in Gladiator as a Roman soldier. He gets around. There, um, Hoa Costa Menzies who's an extra here, was also a Roman soldier and gladiator. And finally, Orlando Seal, who plays Theodore here, is in the 2018 version of Little Women as a random extra. So that's all for Spooky October here at Costume Drama Rewind. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.